this question that is on the screen this morning is certainly one that is very thought-provoking and one that is very selfish in the context of where it is written. This is one that we're confronted with on a daily basis, I believe. You know, and, and if I paraphrase this, am I responsible for you? Are you my responsibility? You know, Cain wasn't really concerned about the question when it was asked of him because he didn't really know the punishment that was really coming at him yet. In the fourth chapter in verse, verses 12 and 13, the Lord says, When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Well, Cain killed his brother. Cain killed his family member. Now, stop and think about this for a moment. How, how would it be for us to even think or contemplate about killing one of our own flesh, one of our own blood, one of our, our own brothers or sisters? And that's what Cain did. And he did it because God had accepted Abel's sacrifice instead of his. In the fourth chapter in verses 3 through 8, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry. And why has your countenance fallen? Excuse me. So the Lord's, let me, let me go back here, and his countenance fell. That's what happens when I look away sometimes. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you shall rule, but you shall rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. What a selfish act. What a selfish act because, because God had accepted Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's. Cain gets angry with that decision and kills his own brother. The Lord noticed that Cain's demeanor and attitude had changed, and he asked Abel where his brother was, and Cain's response was, am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for him? Well, this is the question that we need to ask ourselves today. Are we our brother's keeper? Do we have a responsibility to watch out and care for each other along this journey of life and not only our brothers and sisters in Christ but do we have a responsibility to all mankind to watch after them and care for them well how many of us would say yeah I have a responsibility and how many how many others would maybe say not my responsibility I've got too many other things going on in this life to have to worry about somebody else and their well-being 
I've got problems of my own. Well, we all probably have different reasons why we might answer the question however we would answer it. But Cain's response to God was one of indifference and callousness and selfishness, self-centeredness, and all too common throughout what we live in today in this society that we live in. Am I my brother's keeper? People say, I've got enough work in this life to just take care of myself and I've got so many problems, I've got so many things going on that I don't have time for everyone else. And some think of it as more of maybe even those that, those that may say, yeah, it's our, our responsibility, my responsibility, but we look at it sometimes maybe as more of a duty than it is of something that we want to do and we really care for our fellow brethren. Matthew Henry, the commentator, says, When a person is unconcerned in the affairs of others and takes no care when they have opportunity to prevent hurt, especially in their souls, that person, in effect, speaks Cain's language. You know, something that came to my mind when I was uh, going through this outline and, and, and putting together this lesson is, we look at some of these large mega churches, if you want to say, and I even heard a comment by a woman earlier this week that they used to go to one of these mega churches and they just really never felt connected. They couldn't really get to know anyone. And that's why she liked going where they were at was because it was a smaller group and there was more intimacy between the, the, the congregation. We have to become aware of each other's problems, fears, troubles, sins, whatever it may be, to where we are so involved in each other's lives. Now, some of us may not like that, but where we have a pulse on what's going on in your life to know when you need help, when you need care, when we all need help and care for each other. The idea of a keeper is to guard and to watch and to protect and oversee. We don't enable people to continue doing what's wrong or cover, the, cover up what they're doing by lying for them and things like that, but we want to watch out for them and care for them and protect them and oversee what they're doing so that we can be there to help in times of troubles and problems in their lives. Now, that doesn't mean we need to be busybodies in other people's matters. The Bible condemns that. But if we pull back and we are so silent with our lives when other people are trying to help us, they can't help. But if we never ask either, we won't be able to help. But when we read the scriptures, it's clear that the answer to that question, am I my brother's keeper, is a yes. And it all starts that we are to love one another. And we hear this. We hear it over and over and over again that we're to love one another. Let's notice several scriptures. Christian love whether exercised towards the brethren or towards mankind in general, 
is not an impulse of our feelings, but it does always run, it doesn't always run with our natural feelings sometimes that we have because sometimes it's hard to act in a way that benefits someone else when we have our feelings on our, uh, you know, right there on top. And, and we react to the way that people treat us sometimes or we remember past things that have happened or whatever it may be. But it's not about our feelings. Let's make that real clear. It's about what we need to do and we're commanded to do for others. Vine's expository dictionary talks about love that it seeks the welfare of all and works no ill to any. Love seeks opportunity to do good to all men, especially toward them that are of the household of faith. Jesus commanded this in John 13 and verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for one another. In John 15 and verses 12 and 17, this is my commandment that, I, that you love one another as I have loved you. These things I command you that you love one another. Paul taught it in Romans 13 and verse 8. Owe no, man, owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 9. But concerning brotherly love, have, have you no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 1 and 22. Since you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. 1 Peter 3 and 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. John talks about in 1 John 3 and verses 11 through 12, 17 and 23. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. But whosoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does that love of God abide in him? And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. First John 4. Verses 7 and 11 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another for the love of God, for the love for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. Second John 5. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Pretty clear. This is not something that we find one little bit of something somewhere tucked away in a scripture. But it is a theme that is throughout scripture, that we are to love one another. Well, how do we do that? How do we accomplish that? How do we express this kind of love for each other? 
How do we show our love for one another? Well, one of the first things we do is we try to edify each other. You know, if, if we see someone struggling, you know, at work or wherever it is, and we know how to get that job done, we may, want, we may go up to them and say, you know, if you'd just do this, it'd be a lot easier. If you'd try it this way, it'd make your life a whole lot easier. You'd get that accomplished a lot quicker. And we edify them. We teach them. And that's what we do to those that we love. Romans 14, 14 verse 19, Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. I hope that if I need edification, you will do so. I'm hoping that this edification that we're offering this morning helps you because of my love for this congregation and my love for you. The brethren that stand in this pulpit do that because of their love for the church and their love for their brethren and sisters in Christ. We also find that we are to serve one another, Galatians 5 and 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Matthew 25 and 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and took you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison or, and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me. You cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in, took not me in. You did not take me in, I'm sorry. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they will also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, as much as you did it, you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It's really, really a sobering group of scriptures. Because we are to serve each other.
When we see problems, when we see someone in need, when we see someone that needs help, it is our responsibility to help them, to do something for them, to guide them, to protect them, to serve them. Now, this is not, this lesson is not uh, um, meant to say that we here at Plans Road don't do this because we do. And there are several people in this congregation that do it more and more and more and more than some of us maybe have the ability to do. But that doesn't mean that we see others taking care of the need and therefore we don't have to do anything and we don't have a responsibility because we do as brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm so thankful that we have those here that take up those responsibilities and see to them sometimes before we even know what's going on. There are people on it already. And I'm thankful for that. But we are to serve each other. And we should never, ever, ever have the attitude, well, I don't have the time, I don't have the means, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have, and come with all kinds of excuses because we have a responsibility. We are also to bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6 and verses 1 through 2. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I'm thankful that, that there have been times in our life, and I think you could probably say the same things, that, that when you have had problems, there were brothers or sisters that stepped in and filled the gap. That bared the burdens along with you. Those that are sick, those that may be having emotional problems, those that maybe have lost loved ones, and others come and help bear those burdens. Others step in and help. That's what we're supposed to do. We are our brother's keeper. Barnes says, when we talk about fulfilling the law of Christ, the law of Christ requires us to love one another. This was the distinguishing law of the Redeemer, and they could in no way better fulfill it than by aiding each other in the divine life. The law of Christ would not allow us to reproach the offender or to taunt him or to rejoice in his fall. We should help him to take up his load and infirmities and sustain him by our counsels and exhortations and prayers. Christians conscious of their infirmities have a right to the sympathy and the prayers of their brethren. They should not be cast off to a cold and heartless world, a world rejoicing over their fall and ready to brand them as hypocrites. They should be pressed to the warm bosom of brotherly kindness and prayer should be made to ascend without ceasing around an erring and fallen brother. Is this the case in regard to all who bear the Christian name? There's a 
little story I ran across, and I hope I can remember it. I'm the worst at telling stories because I forget half of it. About this young boy that comes into his daddy, and and uh, and he says he, he comes in. His daddy's sitting there reading the paper, and and he comes up to him and he says, "Daddy, I've got a I've got a question for you." And the dad says, "Well, son, can't you wait till I'm I'm through reading the prayer? I mean, reading the paper." And he says, "Well, daddy, it's a really important question. I've really got an important question for you." And so he pulls down his paper and he says, what is it, son? He says, what is a Christian? Well, father says, well, I guess this is an important question. I better explain it to him. He says, a, a Christian is a person that, that is a good person, that's a moral person, that believes in God, that believes that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that was buried and rose again so that we could have a hope of everlasting life. A Christian is a person that does good to other people. A Christian is one that takes care of other people. A Christian is one that, that is responsible and honest and trustworthy and all these things. And then the boy asked a question. He said, well, Daddy, have I seen a Christian? Have we seen Christians yet? You see, and it's a sad statement on society sometimes and and maybe, I hope not in our lives, that people see Christ living in us. And we don't blend in with the rest of the world and become part of the world. And people never see Christ in us as this little boy never saw somebody, apparently, that fit the description that his father had given. Well, let's move on. We show our love to each other by forgiving one another. Ephesians 4 and 23. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. We submit to each other. Ephesians 5 and 21. Submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. Matthew Henry commentary says that there is a mutual submission that Christians owe to one another condescending to bear one another's burdens, not advancing themselves above others, nor domineering over one another and giving laws to the other. We must be of a yielding and of a submissive spirit. We submit to each other. That means sometimes that we give in to each other and we don't insist upon our own ways, but we bear each other's burdens and we don't try to take over other people's lives and all those kinds of things. We submit to each other. We also find that we are to exhort one another. Hebrews 3 and verses 12 and 13. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know, there's times in our lives that we need to be told you need to straighten up you can't be doing that we exhort each other we try to correct each other we try to help each other and let each other know that we do care for each other we are to consider one another 
Hebrews 10 and 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We are to be hospitable to one another. 1 Peter 4 and verses 8 through 10. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has and, re and receive and received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. Christians ought to love one another, which implies an affection for that person, a desire for their welfare, and a hearty endeavor to promote it. And this mutual affection that is shown between, between each other, it must be sincere, it must be honest and strong and lasting. In verse 9, the hosp hospitality here required is a free and kind entertainment of strangers and travelers. The proper object of Christian hospitality are one another. The nearness of their relation and the necessity of their condition in those times of persecution and distress obliged Christians to be hospitable to one another. The manner of performing this duty is this. It must be done in an easy kind manner without grudging or grumbling, grumbling at the expense or trouble. I don't know, you know, I, there's, there's certain things I miss as time goes on. There's a lot of things I miss. But one of the things I miss is how the brethren used to get together more on Sundays or just at any time. When I was young and at home, we never went home without another family on a Sunday. We just didn't. We spent the day together. And it's sad that I see sometimes in the church that we want to see how quickly we can get away from each other. And that's not right. Want to see how quick we can get past the service? Want to see how quick we can get over with the lunch? If we can we've take out the singing and get on with the service so we can get it over with, so we can get on to our own lives and get away from the brethren. I'm not for that. Never have been. I'm not going to make a big deal out of it, but I'm not for it. I think we need to be together. We ought to prefer each other. And that is being hospitable to each other bringing them into our homes, asking them over for dinners or for lunches or whatever it may be, doing things and activities together. And it doesn't have to be us all doing everything all at once, but we can be families coming together, whatever it may be, or those that are traveling. Is your home open to those that are traveling or those that are in need? Maybe someone has had problems in their home. Have you offered your home as a place for them to spend time and feel comfortable while they take care of the problems at home, whether it's a water leak or a fire or whatever it may be, and then not complain about it. That's what he says. How well are we doing these things? Let's see how we're fulfilling our obligations to one another. 
So when we evaluate our role as our brother's keeper, when someone maybe becomes a child of God or maybe comes back to, to the, the church, do we, re- do we receive them into the family of God or do we just ignore them? Romans 15 and 7, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Are they included in the family activities of the congregation, if you say, the family life? Or do they remain on the fringe because they're not in the circle of trust, if you say? Do we edify them as individuals? Are we encouraging the members of the body, or are we like a cancer weakening the members of the body of Christ by our own example, maybe, or by our words or attitudes? Do we submit to them, or, or do we just want to rule over them? Do we serve them in love or expect them to serve us? Do we demonstrate hospitality to them by visiting them in their time of need or inviting them into our home? or accepting invitations into their home. Maybe when a brother's overtaken in a fault, do we even offer our help, our counsel? Are we even aware of the problems they are experiencing? If so, why are we not aware? Is it because we aren't around them enough to even know what's going on in their life? We are a family. And a family should gather A family should be together. A family should love to be together because we are a family. And if I am not with you, I don't know what your needs are. Maybe it's because we don't assemble enough with our brethren. We may wonder about them, but that's not sufficient. And then before we know it, some drift away, and sometimes we may not even realize they have drifted away. Do we exhort them so they won't be caught up in sin? Are we afraid to confront them because we're afraid maybe that they will run away? Are we willing to bear their burdens, to help them overcome and become stronger, or would we rather maybe not get involved and not be bothered with it? Are we quick to forgive them when they repent? a story of a peasant who applied to join the Communist Party. I just ran across this story. I didn't write it. So, And he appears before the local party secretary to answer questions about his worth, worthiness. If you have two, cow, uh, excuse me, two cats, will you give one of them away? And he says, yes, I will. They ask him, if you have two tractors, will you give one away? Certainly, he says. If you have two houses, will you give one away? Absolutely. No problems. 
If you have two cows, will you give one away? Oh, no, I couldn't do that. He says, well, why not? He says, because I have two cows. You see, we don't mind doing it until it impacts our life, our selfish lives. When it impacts us, when it comes home, when it, when it hits us, when it becomes some work, then we've got a problem. Just like this person, he didn't have two cats, he didn't have two houses, he didn't have two tractors, but he had two cows and he wasn't willing to do it. Excuses have become so common these days. Often when we have the opportunity to be hospitable, we hear these excuses. Well, I don't have the room. We're not able. I, I, I don't know about that. I, uh, and I didn't know that someone else was in need. No one told me, and I can't do that. You know, there's barriers that we put up sometimes when we talk about this subject that we put barriers in our own lives. And, and, you know, Jesus called us to do a work and called us to do something here that is not comfortable. And it's, it's, it's difficult work for us to be our brother's keeper. We want it to be easy. You know, when, when, when Stacy had little Zoe, she, she keeps telling me she's so very thankful that she's got a good baby that is easy to take care of. But she, we all know that sometimes we've had really good, easy babies to take care of, and then we've had some that were just a chore. We love them. We absolutely love them. But they're a chore. And some of our brothers and sisters in Christ are a chore. It's not easy. But we have a responsibility. We group people into certain categories and we put them into these categories about, okay, you know, if... If, and, and we kind of create our own circles and our own people that we feel comfortable with. And we don't like stepping out of that into other areas because we feel uncomfortable. And it can be for all kinds of reasons, but we put these barriers up that we don't want to go outside of that barrier that we have created. Because that's our comfort zone, you see. And we don't like stepping out of that comfort zone. And we may not help someone... Who knows what the reason is? Maybe it's the way they dress. Maybe it's their political views. Maybe it's because of their age. Maybe it sometimes might even be because of their skin color. Oh, we better step out of that one. Are you your brother's keeper? Are you one who both cares for all those in the family and be cared for by them? And lastly, I just thought of this at the end. Are we our children's keeper? Yeah, we are. Proverbs 22 and 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, 
and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You see, we are more than just a keeper of our brother, a keeper of our brother. We are a keeper of everyone when it comes to their soul, when it comes to their welfare, when it comes to their well-being, whatever it is, when it comes to their needs in times of sickness, whatever tragedy, problems in their life, emotional, whatever it is, we are our brother's keeper. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.